I, uh, I have a great appreciation for the TV show called The Chosen. Uh, and you guys are familiar with it if you've, as you've watched it on Sunday nights here in the past. And I, I get that it's not scriptural. And everything that happens in it isn't, based, isn't real, real in the scriptures. But it gives me, I guess, the, shows me the reality that Jesus was in. Shows me that this was a real life event that took place for real people going through real life. So it makes it real. There's a scene in The Chosen where Jesus calls Matthew. Matthew is that tax collector that is cast out from society. People hate him because of the practices that he has. And so Jesus calls Matthew and he faces some resistance from Peter. Peter says, why are you doing that? Why are you calling him? Don't call this guy. And Jesus says, well, I called you. Peter says, yeah, but that's different. Don't call a tax collector. And Jesus looks at Peter and he tells him, get used to different. Get used to different. If I had one word to describe the Sermon on the Mount, it would be that. Different. Jesus is telling his followers, these people that are deciding to follow him, he's telling them that this way of living that he's calling them to, it is different. He is telling them to get used to different. At the beginning of chapter 5, Jesus talks about the upside-down ways of the kingdom. That the kingdom doesn't start with the mighty, the powerful, and the rich. The kingdom starts with the weak, the poor, the hungry. And he calls us to a greater way of living than the scribes and the Pharisees. In the main body of Jesus' sermon, Jesus talks about this way of living. That this way of living is all about our relationship with one another and our relationship with God. That our relationship really guides our devotion to God. At the beginning of chapter 7, he, starts to, he begins to close the main body of his sermon. And he talks about how we relate to the world around us in our prayer life. Throughout this sermon, we have been talking about righteousness. And I feel the need to clarify just as before we begin about righteousness. You and I can never be righteous on our own. There is nothing that you and I can do to be righteous. Righteousness is given to us. It is granted to us. God gives us righteousness and pronounces us righteous when we are baptized. When we are baptized into that watery grave. And when we come up out of that water, we live a new life. And because we are righteous, there, there must be righteous living that comes out from us. And that's what Jesus is talking about. That living is not about keeping the rules and the traditions and the commandments like the Pharisees have said. That righteous living that, that He has called us to, it's about our relationship. Our relationship with God and with one another. That is what the Sermon on the Mount has been about. Our relationship with God and with one another is like two sides of the same coin. If I had a quarter here and I told, showed you the heads and the tail side, both of those sides come together to make 25 cents. If that quarter had some one side scratched off or both sides scratched off, you couldn't use that quarter anywhere. Because it doesn't show that it's real. It doesn't have a heads or a tail side. Those two sides of that quarter come together to make 25 cents. Just like our relationship with God and our relationship with people, they come together 
to produce a righteous life. That's what Jesus is talking about. The beginning of chapter 7, Jesus is closing out the Sermon on the Mount and begins to talk about this way of living as it relates to the world around us. As we read these, these sound like random sayings. Random thoughts just placed in a random place. But they're not random. I hope you've seen that as we've gone through the Sermon on the Mount. The Sermon on the Mount is not just random teachings thrown in together. It is all together to have a point. Join me as we begin in Matthew chapter 7 verse 1. It starts, Judge not that you too be judged. Judge not or that you also may be judged. This verse is a very well-known verse in our society. It's been used almost against us. And it's been used in telling us that we aren't supposed to judge the world around us. There are sayings that come from this, this verse, like judging a person does not define who they are, it defines who you are. Judge yourself and not others. Do not judge me because you don't know me. More than anything, this verse has been used as a license to sin. More than anything. That's not the way that Jesus has intended for this verse to be used. We make judgments in everyday life. Jesus is not calling us, don't ever judge. We wake up and we make a judgment when we get out of bed. We wake up and we look at the weather and we judge what we're going to wear. We make judgments on what to eat. We make so many judgments that it is impossible not to judge. Jesus is not telling us to never make a judgment in our lifetime. In another place, John chapter 7, verse 24, he says, Do not judge according to appearance, but judge with righteous judgment. So do not judge, judge with righteous judgment. Those, seem, don't, those just don't go together. Let's continue to read Matthew chapter 7 as we see the context unfold. Verse 2, For the judgment you pronounce, you too will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you as well. Jesus has been talking about this way of righteousness, this way of living. And throughout this sermon, he has shown this way of living compared to the hypocrites, the Pharisees or the scribes. And in this particular section, he's showing us that as well. He, he's called out in the past the practices of the scribes and Pharisees, and he's calling out the practices here as well. He's calling out their way of judging people and telling his followers that they must do better than the hypocrites around them. You see, the Pharisees were people who continually judged the motives of other people. They continually judged people by appearance. And they were so critical and they were so negative of people because of that. You see, they believed that God had a double standard of judgment. One that they believed that they were God's people. But they also believed that God was going to be more harsh with the Gentiles. There were even some Pharisees that believed that God would decorate the floors of hell with bodies of the Gentiles. And they believed that they were right in this judgmental way of thinking. They believed that this was what God wanted and so were doing it His way. The problem that Jesus is speaking to is judging by appearance and judging by motives. Jesus didn't come for the people that have it figured out. He didn't come for the people that were dressed up. He came for the people that were messed up. 
If we judge by motives and appearances, then we blind ourselves to that fact. It's not the dressed up that need Jesus the most. It's the messed up people that need him the most. You see, the Pharisees were judging by their own standard, and it was not God's standard. Jesus is telling them in this passage, you're using a standard of judgment, and it is not God's standard, so quit using that standard, or you're going to be judged by that same standard. So many times in our own lives, we hold people to standards, and then we don't really meet those standards ourselves. And if you ask Jesus, that's hypocrisy. Jesus wants us to judge with God's standard of judgment. Jesus says that if you don't use his standard in your judgment, then God will use your standard in his judgment towards you. Jesus was condemning the Pharisees of the day because they were using a standard of judgment that was not God's. He is calling us not to use that standard. He's calling us not to be so critical and negative of people. Don't be people who continually look for the wrong in others. He goes on to say, verse 3, Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when there is a log in your own? He says, you hypocrite. First take the log out of your own eye. Then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your, other, your brother's eye. Jesus is really asking us if we can take what we give. If we can take what we give out to other people. Be careful how you judge. Be cautious of the standard that you use to judge other people because that same standard will be used against you. Are we prepared to live up to the standard that we hold on everybody else? When Jesus talks about the speck in the log, he is telling us that we shouldn't look so hard at other people and we should look harder at ourselves. That we should focus inward before we focus outward. And that's really what righteousness is all about. That's really what the Sermon on the Mount has been all about. It starts inward before it goes outward. Jesus wants us to take a good, long, hard look at ourselves in the mirror and ask ourselves, do we hold up to that same standard we're holding to everybody else? Start with yourself before others. He calls these people hypocrites. He calls them hypocrites. People that... that put on a mask that say that they live a certain way, but secretly they don't live that way. It would be like if I got mad at you for holding a grudge against your brother, and yet I went home and I hold that same grudge, and I am more angry at my brother than you are. That's being a hypocrite. Or it'd be like if I got on to you because you're, you're saying all these dirty jokes, but then I go home and I sit back, and watch a movie filled with dirty jokes and just laugh. That's hypocrisy. That is putting on a mask. In both cases, there's a log in my eye. But I'm more focused on the speck in yours. Jesus wants us to know that the sin in our own lives is what should bother us the most. Yes, be concerned with the sin about others. Be concerned about other people and their relationship with God. But start with yourself first. And the sin in your own life should bother you the most. He goes on and he says, Do not give dogs what is holy, 
And do not throw your pearls before pigs, lest they trample them underfoot and turn to attack you. Again, this is just at first glance, it looks like this is a random thought. It looks like, why is this placed here? And it's especially this whole passage. But I hope you've realized as we've gone, the Sermon on the Mount is not random. This saying has multiple meanings. Don't throw your pearls before pigs. But this morning, I want to focus on the context that it sits in. Right here, Jesus has been talking about judging others. Judge by God's standard. Look inward before you look outward. Your own sin should bother you the most. Then he says something about throwing pearls before pigs. The words dogs and pigs were derogatory words that the Jews used. They used them to speak about the Gentiles. They were used to speak about people that they hated. Jesus isn't using that, them that same way, but he's using them to make a point. He's using them to talk about how people who are not receptive to your judgment and your constructive criticism. Jesus says something similar later in Matthew when he sends out the twelve to go preach. He tells them, as you enter the house, greet it. And if the house is worthy, let your peace come upon it. And, and if it is not worthy, let your peace return to you. And if anyone will not receive you or listen to your words, shake off the dust from your feet when you leave that house. Truly I say to you, it will be more bearable on that day of judgment for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah than for that town. When it comes to judging others and removing specks, there will come a time when letting your judgment known is not necessary. People won't be as receptive to it. People will trample on it more than anything. Jesus is letting us know that there are times when our judgment is right. There are times where we have right things to judge. But there are also times where we don't have to make that known. Sometimes people will have that speck in their eye. But it won't be worth the time and effort because they aren't very receptive to it. And they're just going to trample on you anyways. There are times when you need to keep it to yourself. Our job is not to make the gospel acceptable. Our job is to make the gospel more accessible. You can lead a horse to water, but you can't make him drink. But you can feed him a salt block. Our job is not to make the horse drink. Our job is to make the horse thirsty. Jesus is going to move on in verse 7, and it seems like he is giving another random thought. But that's not the case. This, verses 7 through 11, they have everything to do with judging others. But verses 7 and 11 also have everything to do with everything that Jesus has talked about in the Sermon on the Mount. Join me in verse 7. Jesus says, Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock and it will be open to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks it will be opened. Again, this may look random, but it's not. And this, this verse especially has been plucked out, and it's been used to push a false doctrine called the prosperity gospel. It's been used to say that if you want anything in life, just ask for it. Just seek it. Just knock and it'll be given to you. Jesus intends for you to be wealthy. That's not what Jesus is talking about. 
So far in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus has been talking about the way that he wants his followers to live. This different way of living. And he's about to move on to the conclusion and call the people to the response. But he has this statement. He reminds us that if we want to live the way that God has called us to live, then we cannot do that apart from God. If we want to live the way that God wants us to live, we cannot do that on our own efforts. We cannot do that on our own. It's showing us that we need Him to live the way that He wants us to live. Do you remember how the Sermon on the Mount starts? Blessed are the poor in spirit. Those that recognize their need for God. Those that recognize that they cannot do this on their own. That they need help. That's who the kingdom is for. And Jesus is pointing us back to that. If we want to live the way that God wants us to live, we can't do that without Him. We can't do that without prayer. Living the way that He wants you to starts with prayer. If you desire to live the way that He's laid out, pray about it. If you want to remove the log in your own eye so that you can remove the speck in a brother's eye, start with prayer. If you want to be the person that isn't worried about the daily needs of life, start with prayer. If you want to have a better relationship with your Heavenly Father through prayer, fasting, and giving, start praying about it. If you want to be the person that doesn't hold a grudge against your brother or doesn't lust after others, start with prayer. If you want to overcome evil with good, start with prayer. If you want your yes to be yes and your no to be no, start by praying about it. If you truly desire to be the salt of this earth and the light of this world, start with prayer. And if you want to be the person that is poor in spirit, start with prayer. We cannot be the person that Jesus wants us to be apart from God. We need God. So ask Him. Seek for Him and knock. That is what Jesus is talking about. The words here in the Greek language actually read, Keep on asking. Keep on seeking. And keep on knocking. Don't just pray about it once. Pray about it passionately. Pray about it like your life depends on it. Because as we're going to see the next few weeks, Jesus is about to say, your life does depend on it. God will help you become the person that he wants you to be. He will not leave us on our own because we can't do it on our own. He will give us what we need. Jesus uses the illustration there in verse 9 to get this point across. He says, or which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will you give him a serpent? If then, you who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? Jesus talks about prayer, and he reminds us who we're praying to. We are praying to a heavenly Father, a Father who cares for us like a father cares for his children. The Father who is good. And because He is good, everything that He does is good. And everything that He gives is good as well. You have a Heavenly Father that loves you and cares about you. Know that. 
Pray to Him. He wants you to hold your hand and walk with you as you become the person that He wants you to be. He wants you to have a relationship with Him. There's a quote that goes something like this. You become what you surround yourself with. Energies are contagious, so choose carefully because your environment will become you. You become what you surround yourself with. That is especially true with prayer. If you start to spend more time with your Heavenly Father, then you're going to start to become more like Him. Who you are is a result of who you are with. Paul says it this way, 1 Corinthians 15, Bad company corrupts good morals. And the opposite of that is true. Good company will transform bad morals. Who you are surrounded by eventually will be who you become. There's another quote by A.W. Tozer that goes like this. Every man is as close to God as he wants to be. Every man is as close to God as he wants to be. I read that and I think of this story of this little boy watching his grandfather play the guitar. And he just thought to himself, man... I wish I could play the guitar like that. And as he got older, every time he saw his grandfather play the guitar, he says, Grandpa, I wish I could play the guitar like you. And his grandpa says, no, you don't. No, you don't. Time goes on, and this keeps happening. And as the grandpa's getting older and the boy's getting older, they're sitting around the table at Thanksgiving, maybe their last Thanksgiving together. And the boy, now a man, says, Grandpa, I just wish I could play the guitar like you. He says, no, you don't. Grandpa, why do you keep saying that? Why do you keep saying that? And his grandpa says, because if you really wanted to, you would quit wishing and you would start doing. And I think that is especially true when it comes to our relationship with God. Many of us wish that we could do better. Many of us wish we could have a closer relationship with Him and a better prayer life. But are we really doing? Is it more wishful thinking than anything else? Every man is as close to God as he wants to be. So stop wishing and start doing. That begins with our prayer life. You cannot live the way that God wants you to live without Him. God wants to hold your hand and walk through this life with you. He wants to help you live the way that He has called you to live. And every time that you pray to Him, God is teaching you that you need to depend on Him. He is teaching you how to hold His hand and walk through this life with you. In the main body of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus has called us to this way of living in this way of righteousness. His way of righteousness is all about living in a right relationship with God and with man. He sums it up there in chapter 7, verse, two, verse 12. So whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them. For this is the law and the prophets. Jesus is telling us that if we want to live righteously, if we want to live the righteous life, we must be right with others and with God. You can't have one without the other. Two sides make up one coin. Do to others what you would have them do to you. Treat others the way that you want God to treat you. Bless others 
the same way that you want God to bless you. Jesus wants us to know that if we are going to live this way, it starts with prayer. It starts with depending on Him. And we must be praying passionately about this. I don't normally end my sermons this way, but I feel the need to do that, especially this one. So I want to end this morning with prayer. So would you bow with me as we conclude the sermon this morning? Father, we thank you for this day that you have given us. We thank you for the opportunity that you have given us to open up your word and to see what you have said and what you require of us. Most of all, we thank you for Jesus. You sent him to this earth to provide for us. And he came to this earth just to do that. He also came to call us to a greater way of living, to a greater righteousness. Father, that is what the Sermon on the Mount is all about. And we recognize that this way of living starts with us being poor in spirit. It starts with us recognizing that we can't live the life you want us to live without you. God, we confess this morning that we need you. We need you in every part of our lives and we need your help. We need your help to be the salt of this earth and the light of this world. We need your help to live differently than the world around us. We need your help to be right with others. And we also need your help to be right with you. We cannot live this life apart from you. Father, I pray for everyone that is listening this morning. I pray for the people that have ears to hear. Help them and myself as we try to live the way that you want us to live. Help us to keep on asking, keep on seeking, and keep on knocking. And help us to know that you will give and you will open doors. Thank you for being good. And thank you for especially being good through Jesus. And it's in his name we pray. Amen.